When Ernest Shackleton began planning his famous Imperial Trans-Antarctic Expedition in 1914, he is reported to have put out a rather interesting ad in the London Times to recruit men for the journey. The ad read, Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. What was the response to Shackleton's ad? Well, it's reported that 5,000 men applied for the 26 available job openings. The question we might ask is why? Why were men enthralled by what sounds like the promise of sheer misery over an unknown and probably long period of time? Small wages, bitter cold, and complete darkness with a chance of death. Well, who would willingly sign up for that? Why were so many men attracted to that opportunity? We'll explore this question and a few others in today's episode of the Hard Men Podcast. The Hard Men Podcast exists to reclaim biblical masculinity in a world of softness. In the American church today, the standard philosophy when it comes to attracting men is that you need to set the barrier for entry as low as humanly possible. You ask little to nothing from men, you don't expect much from them by way of attention span or effort, and you try to make the service as much like a rock concert or sporting event as possible. Well, because traditional worship, things like singing psalms and raising your hands and repeating back with the pastor, these things are just too hard. Getting on your knees, confessing sins, too hard. Most mainline churches don't even have membership requirements, and if they do, the standards are less strenuous often than joining a local book club or your local library. The Christian religion in America is marketed a lot like Tylenol. It is the antidote to suffering, trial, and pain. Yet Christ promised men an arduous journey full of suffering, trial, and pain. Ultimately, and maybe shockingly to many, this is exactly what men long for, suffering, trial, and pain. This is something that Jordan Peterson often points out, is if you don't have suffering, adversity, and pain, you don't have meaning, so they're tied together. What we found in our post-industrial society is that so often things are easy and meaningless. What's interesting is that churches keep relying on this model, keep lowering the bar. But it's interesting because it doesn't work. Quite obviously, it does not work. Not only does this model not work at bringing men to church, it actually seems to be working as an active repellent to good men. The men who are attracted to this model are weak and passive. Risk-taking men with courage and competence, the very kind that we want in our churches, well, they're going to find their challenges elsewhere, usually in the boardroom or on the ball field. As a result, the church remains more than 60% female in attendance and participation, 
And the numbers are worse as the barriers for entry become less demanding. So as you keep lowering the bar, you keep getting worse men, the worst kind of men, and you keep getting more and more females. Think about your typical men's event at church and how it all goes down. We know our men need teaching, but we assume they can't handle very much. So we plan a Saturday morning breakfast. After all, what man doesn't love his sausage, eggs, and bacon? And we base it all around flag football. We do this about once a year because that's really all men can handle anyway. We hype it up for weeks during announcements on Sunday morning, mainly to give the women time to goad their men and sons into attending. After breakfast, we sneak in a five-minute Bible talk and prayer. Because men are only interested in sports and meat, we reason, we have to trick them into a very brief teaching. Without saying it outrightly, what we're doing is treating our men like they're incompetent morons. Our fundamental working anthropological model for man is something like Homer J. Simpson. We're telling our men, we think you're Homer Simpson. You're a moron, you drink deaf beer, and you're not very smart. We're telling them that we don't expect very much from them. They're not capable of focused thought, and we're telling them that. They're not capable of intellectual rigor, and we're telling them that. They're not capable of a pursuit of holiness, and we're telling them that. Worst of all, our messaging is conveying that they're so dumb that they have to be tricked into bacon and pigskin on a Saturday morning once a year. Here's the deal. Men don't like to be sold in that way, and they certainly don't like to be treated like morons. By the way, here's an interesting thought. If our target audience is Homer J. Simpson, the moron man, why are we surprised when that's the only kind of man who attends church or, alongside him, the gay Ned Flanders? Well, don't be surprised if you, quote-unquote, market your church to that target audience. Don't be surprised when that's the target audience that you actually attract. I want you to compare all of that to Shackleton's ad. What manly, risk-taking, empire-building, adventurous men really need is a call to glory down a path of intense adversity. You see, Shackleton, he didn't want any man. He wanted the right kind of men. If you want that man, the risk-taking, manly, empire-building, adventurous man, if you want him in your church, the bar needs to be raised, not lowered. Instead of begging men to come to church, pleading with them, please, Please, just let Jesus into your heart. He's knocking impotently at the door of your heart. Just let him in, please, man. Instead of doing all that and being gay in the process, we need the approach of the Navy SEALs at BUDS training. This is a selective process, and once you're there, it's going to be very hard. You're going to go through Hell Week, and we're going to tell you, this is the, this is the feature I want to point to, that we're going to tell you, anytime you want to quit, sweetheart, just ring the bell and pack your bags. Right? This is... Interestingly enough, what we so often find in the ministry of Christ. A good example of this is my friend and pastor, Dan, who responds to men and families when they want to become members of our church, and he'll tell them essentially all the reasons why they shouldn't do it. I don't know, man. It's pretty difficult. I'm not sure you can hack it. Right? We're actually telling men how hard it's going to be. We're telling them, listen, a lot of people are going to call Pastor Brian a cult leader. Have you seen his Twitter? You might want to check that out before you join the church. Right? Instead of setting a low bar for entry, we're actually setting a really high bar. We're telling men what is demanded of them. You're going to have to lead your family in family worship. You're going to have to lead your wife on mission. 
we will not allow you to passively sit by while your wife leads the family. We're not going to allow you to do that. It's going to be very hard. We're going to have doctrinal standards, and you need to read and study and follow along with the service and learn how to sing psalms. And we do that in four-part harmony. At least we're learning to do that, right? This is all difficulty. This may seem odd to us, but this was actually Christ's method when forming his gang of men as well. He made a call to an arduous life, number one. He promised risk, danger, and possible death, number two. And number three, he promised deep rewards and lasting glory. And this is a pattern that we can and should emulate. So first, call men to an arduous life. Men need rigorous demands placed upon them. They need intellectual demands placed upon them. They need physical demands placed upon them. They need these demands placed upon them as fathers. They need these demands placed upon them as husbands. They need these demands placed upon them as men on a mission. Get a mission. Go on mission. Live with discipline, passion, control, and endurance. Then call a woman to that mission as well. It has to be done, this calling of men to an arduous life, it has to be done by other hard men. And this is also a challenge, right? So many pastors realize, I can't call men to a hard, arduous journey. I'm not living a hard, arduous journey, right? I'm taking three-hour lunch meetings and golfing on Tuesday and reading a book or two this week and sitting on the couch and watching sports or TV with my wife, right? You have to be the man on the hard, arduous journey. Shackleton was a real man. You read the book Endurance by Alfred Lansing, and you know that Shackleton was a hard man. And so you have to be a hard man to call hard men to this journey. But here's the point. Few things are more invigorating and needful for men than having other based brothers call them to a seemingly impossible standard. One story I love that captures this spirit was told recently on a podcast by J.J. Reddick. You remember he was the point-scoring machine at Duke under Coach K some many years ago. J.J. was telling this story. He said, early on, Coach K had told him in his career that they, they happened to make it early on to the Final Four, and they got knocked out in the Final Four. And in the offseason, Coach K told J.J. Reddick, who he was, J.J. said, I was out of shape, I was a frat boy, I was leading in like every category, but Coach knew that more could be uh, given from me. I, I just wasn't giving my all my head, my heart wasn't totally in it. And he said, Coach K told me one day, he said, JJ, he said, you didn't win a national championship because you were not worthy to be a national champion. Right? Those are the words of a hard man, a competent, courageous man like Coach K, being very pointed, right? Calling JJ out, challenging him to be a better man, better basketball player. And what's amazing is JJ said, Years later, years later, he said, to this very day, as I'm talking to you right now, I think about that all the time. Am I living my life as a champion? Right? It takes men like Coach K to call us out. And pastors, fathers, you're supposed to be this kind of man. And then you call him out and you say, I know you can do it. Work harder. I'll be right here next to you, pushing you the entire time. Some men need called to an arduous life. Number two, men need the promise of danger and risk, right? Every time we go mountain hunting, uh, typically people are like, oh, dude, I want to go mountain hunting with you. And so what do I do? I tell them what it's going to be like. 
right? We're going to go for miles on ends, 10, 20, 30 miles, don't know. It's going to be cold. It's going to be wet. You're going to have blisters on your feet. Your back is going to be sore. And if you make it to the top, and if you make it to the end of the week, and you get an elk on the ground, or you get a sheep on the ground, or you get a goat on the ground, that's when the real hell begins. And then we talk about what the pack out is like. Going down steep scree fields with two inches of snow on them, being followed by grizzly bears or black bears, right? getting lost in the dark, not exactly sure where you are. I talk about the times when I was crossing a river trying to find a good spot to cross an icy river, and I went through the ice to my waist, and I hit my right elbow on a boulder. And that was at the beginning of the trek in to go get somebody's elk. What are you going to do in those moments? Right? Men actually need the promise of danger and risk. And the right kind of man will respond and say, yes, I want that. And a lot of men, you're going to weed them out because they can't hack it. And here's, here's the point. We actually want to weed those people out. This is what Jesus did. John chapter six. Do you also want to leave? Right? Every time they're like, I don't know, your words are kind of hard, Jesus. And he's like, well, you think that's hard. You have to drink my blood and eat my flesh. And people are like, I'm out, tapping out, right? We actually want to find out before we get on the mountain if people are going to tap out. If they're going to tap out just hearing about the difficulty, then they're definitely going to abandon you on the mountain. And here's the problem. If you let that man come on you on, on say, a hunt, he's going to endanger you, he's going to endanger others, and he's going to endanger the mission. What we need is to vet and attract men with grit. The right kind of man will respond to the promise of danger and risk. Again, this is one of the, the key things about Mark Driscoll and his church that was so attractive and is often attractive about movements like that. You're calling men to danger, risk, facing adversity, facing your city, facing the hordes of green-haired man-haters. And this is actually attractive to manly men because we're hardwired for this. You want to attract men with grit who accept the challenge, danger, and risk. This is what you want to do. Number three, promise your men glory, right? We live in a world where it's like, no, you shouldn't seek glory. You should just seek constant humi humiliation all the time. You should just be the consummate martyr all the time. No joy, no pleasure, no glory. Getting glory is bad, we're told in the church. Well, this is highly effeminate because the thing is, God has hardwired men for glory. We find this all throughout scripture. Take dominion for the glory of God. Go start a family for the glory of God. Let's face this fact, though. The church is highly feminized and effeminate. It's dominated by the presence of women in the pews and women in the pulpits. Whether they're actual women, Amy Bird, right? We're talking to you. Whether they're actual women in the pulpits or they're just men with skirts, this environment where women dominate, listen, women are more likely than men to find competition unsettling. That is why we live in an education system and in a culture that hates competition. And we, we have to do the participation trophies because women are like, no, let's just get along. Competition's mean. I don't like seeing people lose. The NCAA tournament, I, I don't like to see that. Those guys are upset because they lost. Yeah, every time there's a tournament game, there is heartbreak on the other side. But here's the deal that men understand. Quality men understand this. There have to be winners and losers in life. Somebody has to go home upset 
And it's good for men to experience those losses in competition. Why? Because it's gut check time. We need gut checks. We need losses. It's necessary for the building of men. You have need of endurance. We're told in Hebrews, right? We need to go into the off season and dig deeper and find out what happened and work harder. And like JJ Reddick, we need to say, do I have a national championship character? Do I deserve a national championship? Am I the kind of man that would be worthy of the national champion? Right? Am I that kind of man? We need that. But here's the other thing that people don't understand in the sense of Christian glory. My friend Brian brings this up all the time, Pastor Brian Sauvey. Glory is not a zero-sum game in God's kingdom. If he gets glory, there's not enough for me. That's not how glory in the kingdom of God works. Right? There's plenty of glory to go around because God is eternally glorious and he calls his people as a kingdom of priests to glory as well. And so as we have healthy competition among men, as we push each other, we also recognize in an honor culture, there's plenty of glory to go around. When Brian does great things, we, we give him glory. When Dan does great things, we give him glory. When Ben does great things, we give him glory. When I do great things, you get glory, right? We need healthy competition among men in a glory honor culture, right? A good example of this is quarterback rooms in the NFL, Right, They typically do better when you have guys who are pushing each other in a friendly, cooperative way. Right, Guys who are pushing each other. Competition drives us to be better. We need other competent men around us to push us to grow and to use our gifts. If we slack, they call us out. It's like a spotter when you're weightlifting. Men need this. You know, you're like, eh, I'm not going to finish this set. But the guy standing there looking at you saying, come on, man, you can't let him down, right? We need that. He's calling you to glory and he's pushing you to glory, right? Men need to imagine what it's like to hold the Stanley Cup above their heads, right? We used to do this in the street when I was a kid. We'd be playing roller hockey. Um, We played ice hockey, but we didn't have an ice hockey rink in our backyard, sadly. And so we'd play roller hockey in the street. My brother and I, we'd we'd simulate the games and we would imagine that game-winning shot We would imagine what it would be like to hold the Stanley Cup over our head. Why? Because as men, we're longing, we're imagining glory. What is it going to be like to be in the winner's circle? Right? Paul says we compete on this earth for earthly wreaths of glory, crowns of glory. But as Christians, we're competing for an eternal weight of glory, right? A better crown. Do you notice how Paul actually plays into the language of competition and he uses that to inspire his men? He doesn't say what Christians say today. Well, competition is bad and let's all just get along and be just put on your skinny jeans. We're going to be okay together. No, he doesn't say that. He says, listen, I I am like an Olympian. I beat and buffet my body. He's striving for the upward call in Jesus Christ. So again, we need this sense of glory and competition within the church. Here's the deal. Men want to be the hero. Men don't want to be the zero. They don't want to be the guy letting their team down. And so we need to call men in their own story, in their own way, to live heroically. To set before them examples of heroic men doing heroic things and then call our men to that standard. So I want to close this episode with just a few practical things for you to take home with you. Number one, pastors resist the urge to dumb things down. 
You're insulting your men when you treat them like Homer Simpson. Make things harder. Make the intellectual challenges harder. Call men to really listen and apply the sermon. And then lead their family and family worship in that same way. Call your men to catechize their sons and daughters. Challenge your men. Expect a higher quality of participation in the church. Expect more from membership. Think about membership more like the Navy SEALs and less like a local book club. In fact, local book clubs usually have higher standards than most churches. Right? Even the Baker Mayfield commercial, they're in the book club and they're like, such and such hasn't shown up. Who votes to kick him out? And they kick him out, right? We don't even do that in churches, right? They do that in a silly book club. We don't do it in churches. You actually want standards. So create standards for your men, right? Create intellectual, theological, spiritual, physical standards for your men that are actually going to drive away a lot of the NPCs, right? Non-player characters, the drones of life, the bug men, right? We actually don't want that in our churches, we want men who are all in. We want men who are, who are totally in on the mission. Right? That's what we want for our men. Number two, find difficult missional tasks to participate in together as men in your church. Right? It's not just about eating food, though that can be an important thing. It's not just about poker night. It's not just about smoking cigars. Together, that's actually not really where men bond deeply. Right? You need a fight. And you need work. You need to find difficult, meaningful, missional tasks to participate in together, not just leisure activities. Men are going to bond in difficulty and adversity. So this is why a lot of times if you have good elders, they are really bonded like brothers. Why? Because they've been through the hell of spiritual warfare together. They've been through difficulty and that has bonded them together, right? Building projects do the same thing. Right? This is why men go, get so excited and got so excited around Mark Driscoll. Mark was on a mission and he was building things and he was fighting a, a, a culture war. And so people were excited about that. People are not excited about most churches because there's not meaningful work and there's not a meaningful fight. So you need to figure out what that is in your local church, in your local context. And then you need to, you need to portray that for your men. You need to preach that to them. Come and be a part of this difficult mission. Third and finally, we need to create a culture of showing honor to other men and spurring each other on, right? In so many churches, the guy at the top, the pastor, is the only guy who can get glory. It's the only context where we think of glory as even being possible to get because we made the church the only place where the kingdom is happening, right? But reality is you can get glory in the workplace and be a Christian man building Christendom, right? And we need to celebrate those men. When men in our church start businesses, we should support them and celebrate them. That's a way for them to get glory, and we should be proud. We should be glad that they're getting glory. Let's pass the glory. Let's let other men have some of the spotlight. There is enough glory in God's wisdom to go around and in his kingdom. Well, I hope you guys are challenged this week to think of Ernest Shackleton. Think of the hard call that he put on men's life. And I hope and pray it will be benefit to you as you, man, put a hard call on your life. Give a hard call to your sons. Give a hard call to the men in your church. Press on. Strive. Compete. Think about the promise of glory. Think about the promise of danger and risk. Think about the call to an arduous life. And then go, hard men, and live it. 
Well, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. Deeply appreciate all of our supporters on this project, on this show, especially on Patreon and on ericcon.com. We've had a lot of new members and we deeply appreciate your support. It goes a long way to furthering the work that we are doing. A couple things I want to make you aware of if you haven't seen them already. Number one, Brian Sauvé uh, is doing a Psalms project. He's looking for Kickstarter funding on his website. You can go to briansauvé.com. Definitely encourage you to support that work. It sounds a lot like Culture Wall set to the Psalms. So uh, it's been really cool to listen to that. You can check out the new song and encourage you if you have the money, have the resources, and you want to invest in more Christian music, by all means, support Brian. Love what he is doing. You can also check out the King's Hall podcast, which is a joint venture between myself, Dan Burkholder, and also Brian Sauvé. Again, kingshall.org. We'll provide links for that in the show notes. A lot of great stuff going on. We are seeking as best we can to be pastoral, plotting, and productive to rebuild the walls of Christendom. And so we appreciate all your support in that. Uh, more and more we see Netflix, Disney, all this stuff. They're just against the church, against Christianity, not even neutral anymore, but just outright hostile. So we want to produce and support Christian media. And again, we appreciate all your support in doing that. Again, thanks to everyone who has supported this show. Until next time, men, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men.